This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we have packed a few different shows together that we call Highlights to help you to get the most bang for your time and educating you on the topics that you want to learn from. We would love to hear from you. I am grateful that you are with us today. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Rachel Richards. Thanks for being on the show, Rachel. Yeah, thanks for having me, Whitney. Rachel retired at age 27 with over $10,000 per month in passive income. And we're going to learn today how she did that and just what passive income is. But she's the author of two best-selling books on financial literacy, and real estate investor with almost 40 rental units. So Rachel, thank you again for your time and being on the show with us today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to hearing your story. I love stories like this, especially at 27. I mean, that's what everybody dreams about, right? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I never imagined I would retire this young, but here we are. <laughs> you know, so give us a little more about, you know, that story or I, you know, I know we want to jump into it, but but let's go back a little bit. You know, is that is real estate always been a dream of yours? You know, was it something that that somebody you saw somebody else do when you were a teenager or, you know, uh, get us started a little bit? Yeah, I mean, even since a young age, I've been a total finance nerd and really interested in how to create a lot of money. And so I, I was an avid reader all throughout middle school, high school, college, and I'd learned a lot about real estate investing. And so it's something I always wanted to do. To me, real estate investing is one of the best tools for building long-term wealth. So 2017 is when my journey of creating passive income started. At the beginning of that year, my husband and I had $0 in passive income. So that year, we invested in our first rental property. We purchased our first duplex. And then later that year, I wrote and published my first best-selling book, Money Honey. So we had these two passive income streams, rental income and royalty income. And we focused on growing those as much as we possibly could over the next few years. So fast forward to today, we now have almost 40 units. And last year, I just launched my second book. So my book royalty income has increased significantly. And that is how I was able to quit my job and retire last year at the age of 27. Wow. Okay. So how did you educate yourself and and what pushed you into real estate at that time? I mean, most people are pursuing some type of career or corporate career, you know, some other type of avenue. What was it for you? Yeah, I've had a pretty varied background. I started as a financial advisor, but even before then, I was reading tons of books. That's primarily how, how I learn anything. But then I was licensed in my Series 7, Series 66 license to help people invest. And then I actually took a job in a real estate position where I was working for somebody who was flipping properties. And I took the job because I knew I wanted to do it myself. So I figured this is going to be a great learning experience for me. I ended up getting my own real estate license just for the sake of me purchasing my own investment properties. And that's how I really got into real estate investing. Okay, so now you know you've got the bug. You're like, okay, we're going to do this. You're educating yourself. You know, I, I guess first though, give us a couple key things that helped educate you. And even uh, yeah, let's start there. What what were you reading? What was educating you to to make you take action like that? I think one of the first books I read about real estate investing was Rich Dad Poor Dad because he talks about it. And then I was like, this sounds really cool. And then from there, I read all sorts of books. So one of my favorite books about rental property investing specifically is called Hold by Steve Chater and the McKissicks. It's so, so good. I still use some of their templates to do analysis. So those are some great resources. And then, you know, one of the things you have to be really good at from the get-go is 
doing your projections and doing your financial analysis. So it's important to have a really great spreadsheet or calculator or some type of resource where you can project out, okay, here's how much I think I'm going to be able to rent the property for. Here's the vacancy. Here's all the expenses. And then being able to look, the two metrics I look at are the cash on cash ROI and the, the capitalization rate. So I kind of focus on those two things and the cash flow. And other, other investors focus on a lot of other metrics. But in my opinion, those are the three main metrics to focus on. So I just think having a good understanding of those, you know, what those are and being able to accurately project out your rental income and expenses, that's really important. Okay. Yeah. And projecting things like that. Any other tips for projecting uh, those items? And maybe you could list those again, uh, what you said were you know, most important to you. Yeah, the rent revenue you have to project. And the way I do that is I I basically look on Craigslist and Zillow to see what are the other active rentals to come up with a pretty good estimate. And then I always make it conservative. So if everything else out there that's similar to my property is renting for $800 a month, I'll just be a little conservative and maybe I'll estimate, okay, I can get $775 a month for this unit. You have to take into account the vacancy rate as well because it's not going to be rented 365 days a year. You're going to have some turnover. So you really need to account for that. Most investors use an 8% vacancy rate, which means that the property would be vacant for one month out of the year. Now, I think that's very conservative. I'm, I'm hoping my properties are never going to be vacant for a month, but I always estimate it that way that just because it's better to be conservative. And then you have all of your expenses. So this is where a lot of first-time investors make mistakes is is where they estimate their expenses. Because it's easy to think, oh, my rental income minus my mortgage payment, and then that's my profit. (laughs) And in reality, there are a lot of other expenses out there that you need to to think about. For example, utilities and lawn care. Are you going to pay for that or is the tenant going to pay for that? Also think about things like HOA fees, maintenance and repair, capital expenditures. And I always tell people, you have to budget in an expense for a property manager because most likely, most of us don't want to quit our jobs to become full-time landlords, right? And to make rental income truly passive, you have to have a property manager in place. Even if you're not going to hire one from the get-go, just budget that in to make sure the numbers will still work. So that's kind of what I start with to estimate my net cash flow. And then from there, I like to look at the cash-on-cash ROI, which basically takes your annual profit divided by your initial investment. And that is an important metric for me because I want to at least be able to beat the stock market. To me, it's kind of like, what's the point of investing if I'm not going to get a higher return than what I could get in the stock market? So I've always aimed for a minimum of a 12% cash on cash ROI. Okay. I was going to ask you what that would be or what that figure would be. You know, so to $10,000 a month in passive income, is that all from rentals or mostly rentals? So it's actually closer to $15,000 a month now. But I would say on a, in a normal month, not during coronavirus, but in a normal month, we are profiting anywhere from seven dollars to $12,000 per month from the rentals. And then my book royalties make up the other big chunks. So in February, I just had my first $7,000 a month in book royalties. Congratulations to you. That's awesome. What about, you know, getting to that point though on the rental side, uh, you know, how did you, you know, a lot of people have trouble, especially buying the first one, right? Uh, But then, you know, the second or the third or the fourth, how did you make that happen? Did you all have the capital say to put down? Did you uh, have investors? What did that look like? 
Yeah. So that's a great question. So I'll kind of rewind back to college. Have you heard of Cutco Cutlery, Cutco Knives? No, I have not. Okay. So they are knives made in America and it's a direct sales company. So I was selling Cutco knives all throughout college to pay for school because I knew I was going to pay for it on my own. And I was able to graduate without debt because of that. And then my husband is a Navy veteran. And so he used his military benefits to pay for his college. So we both graduated and didn't have any debt. And that was really important to get us started in terms of being able to save a lot of money. Now, I haven't received an inheritance. I've never made six figures. So it's not about making a ton of money necessarily. It's just about living frugally. Even when I was making $32,000 after college, after I graduated, I was still finding a way to save 50% of my income. So I was able to save money pretty quickly just by being frugal. So it didn't take long for my husband and I to amass a certain amount of money to buy our first property. The other thing we had going for us is that we were investing in Louisville, Kentucky. And that's a great place to invest anywhere in the Midwest. You know, housing prices are cheap. It's a low cost of living. So our first duplex only cost $100,000. And my husband and I, we both put ten grand each in. So that was our $20,000 down payment. And then the third thing going for us, and this is really how we were able to scale and get to almost 40 units in a period of two or three years, is that I had my real estate license. And I only had it for my own purposes to represent myself as my own buyer's agent. But the great thing about that is that every time we purchased a property, I would then get a really large commission check back from being my own agent. So after the duplex, I got a check for several thousand dollars then we continued to save the way we were already saving and we had the additional cash flow. So it just, it didn't take long once we started going to sort of gain momentum and be able to buy properties quickly and more quickly after that. Our guest is Alex Brashears. Thanks for being on the show, Alex. Thank you for having me. Yeah, honored to have you on. I think we met a long time ago. I can't remember exactly where, but we met. It's interesting you know, how we we meet people in this business and, you know, our paths cross again. And so it's great to have her on the show. But a little about her. She's a private lender, passive investor, reggae plus fund investor, relations manager, and community builder. She hosts daily discussions, weekly educational events, and monthly networking events in her Facebook group, Private Lending Lessons, that aims to teach people about private lending and other forms of passive investing, which we're all interested in passive investing. That's for sure. I know all our investors are, man, how do I do that? How do I do it the best? How do I, you know, minimize risk? How do I get the most gains? all those things, right? So Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, give us a little about this, you know, your passion now to help other other passive investors and how you're doing that and, and, and how you're helping educate them as well. Absolutely. So it kind of became a merge of two different worlds and it was just a perfect storm with COVID. So I'm a military spouse, which means I'm sitting in my 19th address in 20 years. So geographical freedom was kind of always forced upon us. You know, know, we had some entity in our life that was going to give us two weeks forewarning, you're moving across the country. So building a traditional career, as you might imagine, was not really possible. My graduate education is in organic chemistry. So I'm a chemistry professor, my normal kind of W-2 job. So that is obviously not very transferable if you're moving to places like Kodiak, Alaska, where there isn't a community college even on the island. So that kind of led me on a hunt to what can I do to still be empowered financially? Because the military actually calls us dependents, which I thoroughly hate. 
So I wanted to have something where I was contributing to the household financially. It was keeping me mentally occupied. And then when COVID hit, you know, it it shut the world down. A lot of the hard money lenders just shut their doors. They said, we're going to take a beat. We're going to figure out where the economy is going. And just again, like you mentioned, networking a little bit earlier, I was in a virtual breakout room with some people in a networking event. And somebody mentioned that they were going to miss out on a deal here in Hampton Roads because their hard money lender, you know, was closing their doors and said, you know, you're going to have to find somewhere else to go. And it just literally worked out that he was the type of borrower I would want to work with, that he was, it had the property that I would want to lend on. It was a minor rehab, you know, as far as rehabs go. So we could be in and out of it pretty quickly. And I told him, I was like, you know what, if you can give me two weeks to get all the paperwork at a bank account, get everything kind of established, I was like, I'll fund the loan. I'll do the loan. You know, I, I was looking for something that would allow me to still kind of follow my spouse around the world, you know, should that be needed, but still invest in real estate. Interesting. You saw an opportunity there, right? And you wanted to figure out a way that you could capitalize on it and help this other person also. Tell me about, you know, hard money lending versus just investing in a syndication. Why one or the other? Or why both? Or how did you make that decision? It actually kind of came about, honestly, kind of by accident. I used to work for a hard money lender way back when, about 20 years ago back when you had to like physically meet the borrowers out of the property and they were physically filling out a 1003 and walking the property to see the scope of work, you know, Google streets wasn't a thing back then. So I kind of got to see the, you know, property purchasing investing process from the other side of the table where most people kind of come into real estate investing, you know, buying their first rental or, you know, doing their first fix and flip. I actually came in on the other side doing the funding for those properties. So I kind of knew you know, that we had a couple rentals, we'd done a couple fix and flips, we did not enjoy it. We just that just didn't suit our skill set. It didn't suit our lifestyle. And I knew at some point when we went back into investing in real estate, that lending was the side of the table I wanted to be on. Like you mentioned with syndication, you're on the debt side, you're not on the equity side. So you're not getting any of those wonderful tax benefits if you happen to be a high income earner that you do get traditionally in syndication, you know, if your operator's doing, you know, cost segregation, bonus depreciation, all those things. So we actually kind of marry the two. So we do private lending to be on the debt side. And then we do invest in syndication as an LP for kind of the equity play in it. Nice. Would you just give us a 30 second example of like a hard money, hard money lending, like what that is, in case the listener's not familiar with that term? So there's two different things. So there's private money lending, which means that the individual has direct control over the funds, whether it's their money, money from friends and family, money they've managed to pull together, whatever it is. And then hard money traditionally is they are brokering out funds or they have some sort of restrictions on the funds, whether it's a warehouse line of credit from a hedge fund in New York, they're doing white label funding for another company. So they kind of, it sounds like a minor difference, but what it really boils down to is the level of flexibility. So in private lending, when you're an investor talking to a private lender, you're talking to the processor, the underwriter, you're talking to the decision maker because it's our money that we are putting forth, you know, for the closing. When you're talking to a hard money lender, you know, they have the, they have to check all these boxes. You know, you have to have above a 680 credit score, can't go over 65 LTV, don't allow second liens. You know, there's all these parameters because they are in essence borrowing money underneath that framework saying, this is how I will do loans in the future. So that's kind of the big difference between private money and hard money. The passive investors that are listening right now, should they consider, you know, hard money lending? I would say if they felt it fits their parameters and their goals. 
So just like every other style of investing, you know, it's got its pros and its cons. It tends to be very front end heavy. So you're going to spend, you know, a couple hours kind of doing due diligence on the borrower, maybe going driving by the property. If you're local, depending on your risk tolerance, you might not care. But the big thing is really getting an attorney involved very early to have your documents drawn up. You need to make sure you're staying within usury laws. And then once that's kind of done, a lot of private lenders that I personally know tend to work with the same investors over and over and over again. So over time, the business model tends to be a lot more set it and forget it. But the very beginning is going to be a lot of learning. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. It's going to be a lot of learning and just getting out there, networking with people, you know, trusting your borrowers, doing some background on your borrowers, and then, you know, waiting for your monthly interest only payment to come in if that's what you're doing. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 